What defines success? I love this business and I love trying to change companies and fix companies. I've been part of mostly successes. What happens when you get knocked down? It was like, wow, I, I think I just got fired. I think that like they're just saying, saying to Jay Margolis that they don't want him anymore. What makes some people radiate? I want to help. I want to figure it out. I want to bring each of my experiences to the next. This is Radiate. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Radiate, the show where we interview some of the world's most successful people to find out how they work their way to the top. This time, we have a retail veteran, Jay Margolis, who started his career as an assistant merchandising manager for the Manhattan Shirt Company, then went on to land bigger and bigger roles at brands like Liz Claiborne, Tommy Hilfiger, Esprit, and Reebok. And he now serves on the boards of Godiva and Sam Adams. His latest role, turning around the fashion brand Cachet, which turned out was a lot harder to do than he thought. And in this conversation, we start by asking him about that struggle. Here you go. So Jay, you were tapped to fix Cachet, but you just couldn't get it done. Do you regret taking that risk? No, I, I had to take a shot. I regret, I, I, there's people out there now that I've tried to help get jobs, move on in their lives. You care about the people, you care about the value. Because I, I brought values to the company. I worked so hard at learning from all the different experiences I've had, what makes a company work from a pure values point of view, how you talk to your people, how how, how do you really get messages out there? How do you tell what you, what's, what you expect? But why is that of, important when a company's failing? Because I think you, have to execute, you still have to execute perfectly in terms of satisfying consumer demand. You have to get better and be on top of your allocation. Not it's, it's just a question though, that we're all working together at something. And mm-hmm. and if, if one end is failing or if you don't have the money, we, you just can't throw people But you at want it. people to feel good, right? You want them to feel good going into work, even totally. though they could probably all see the writing on the wall. I th- I don't know. I don't know if the people in the stores, in, in, in an office, you're there every day, you feel the tension, you feel the pressure, you, you can see. In a store, they're working on what are they get, what are they selling. If they're selling at a discounted price, they're really, we're not making money. Yeah. I'm not sure they would know that. So they, I think that they were really surprised at the end when it happened. I don't think shareholders the, the were. in the stores. Yeah, I don't think we were. I think it did come fast in terms of just stock price going down, which means you can't sell off shares, which means you can't raise money. And yeah. You, somewhere you see that happening and you go, okay, it, it's it's over. Now, I thought a buyer would come in for it, which was a whole other interesting aspect to this because I had done licensing my life internationally and looked at a lot of different companies, different I bought companies, have sold companies. And, and I thought, Cachet, been around since 1976. Even if we don't have the time or money to do this, there's going to be a bigger company. Somebody's going to want to buy someone's it. Someone's going to buy it. And nobody wanted to buy it. Oh, retail is so bad. No one wants to be, <laughs> no one wants to be in retail. If you have an online business, if you have an outlet store business, if you have an international brand, if you have an accessory business, I love what Bonobos or rent 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 There's so many people trying to get in the business in different right. angles, but no, we, we just didn't have enough things working. Did you feel any part of your own credibility or value went away when Cachet went I, away? I hope not. I think, you know, I thought, we all think about that. We have egos and we've done different things in your life. And I, I, I love this business and I love trying to change companies and fix companies. And I've been part of mostly successes. Um, I think in this one, I gave it really my best well, shot. Well, you were the Mr. Fix-It in there. Ah, we brought in some really terrific people and there was a team of people and the, the store people were great. You're buying into that as well. The brand, I think, was a little far gone and didn't just didn't, I couldn't 
I couldn't work magic. And it's a time frame that there was a, um, a slowdown two springs ago that was really uh, just weather and a lot of other factors. You hate being in retail and all those excuses. <laughs> it didn't work. Did, your question is an important question to me. How tarnished did I become? You know, but I will tell you a call from Bloomberg or a call saying, hey, Jay, we still want you to do this means a lot. You know, I'm still on Sam Adams' board, and I've watched that company grow, and no one has said said a thing to me in terms of, of, of that kind of thing. In my own mind, in my heart, no. Well, I, you know, because I wonder about that. You know, I talk to a lot of business leaders, you do too, and many of them do worry about what happens after I leave this big position. Now, Cache is a little bit different because you, you really took it as a, a project and, you know, you were the Mr. Fix-It. You didn't build the company up from scratch. But what happens when you leave a high post like that Suddenly, do you do the phone? Do, you know, do the phone stop ringing? Are you off people's Christmas card list anymore because yeah. you're not relevant anymore? I, I would tell you, when you retire, you become invisible. So invisible is, yeah. is, is the same thing, right? And, and you wonder. And it was one of the things that I came back to learn: is that the case? All these people that I think I've I've seen grow in business and our friends and people I communicate with, stops they, the calls stop coming anyway. Did, did that ever the happen to that, you? Oh, for sure. You know, right when? after when I retired, when when it was kind of leaving Express between Express and going back and doing cachet was four years of all kinds of board assignments, working on Bloomberg, doing some fun things in terms of again brand and communicating brand. But you don't get calls, and and you just wonder. And I had this thing inside me that I needed to find out what that was about, and what it is about is. People are busy, and people are on doing their jobs and working hard, and and you you do become invisible. But what I'm saying is, I don't. I, it's not me. It's not personal. It's okay. not. Will I feel that way? No. Do do I hope people don't see it that way in terms of, you know, how they would view me in in any different light? Because some people would feel it that way. They would feel like they're being dismissed after they after they retire after they leave. That's the decision you make. It's one of the hard ones, right? You know, how, how do you go from an industry that every day you're looking at beautiful people and and thinking about where trend is coming from and going into stores and analyze what a, what an amazing business and now you have to move away from it. Right. That's the hard part, really. So, what was the what would you say is, you know, was one of the most the most challenging moments in your career? I mean, what was you know? I always say that people have a moment where they're made, right? Where they either Take, seize that moment and reach higher or that moment envelops them and suffocates them and they fail. So did you have a moment like that in your career? I think one of the key things you're saying is how do you bounce back and how, you know, how do you, first of all, how do you set yourself up for success and how do you find the right team of people in the right group and where you fit in? And I was just so fortunate earlier in my career that one thing led to the other, led to the other, to bigger jobs, different teams of people learn from each group in terms of how I fit in and what you need to do to, to be successful. And, and is that and because that, you're an optimist? Curious and, and an optimist, and because um, I, I get th- that, sense. and I think I'm like a point guard, and like I want to help, I want to figure it out, um, I want to bring each of my experiences to the next, so hopefully that you can share, and then you get to a situation like like the Tommy Hilfiger situation, where all of a sudden you make this leap after your whole career going in in a certain direction, to where you're not really valued the way you thought you should be valued, and you're not really contributing what you think you could contribute. So Jay, going back to your time at Tommy Hilfiger. It didn't end well, but folks can learn a lot from your time there. So what exactly happened 
during your time at Tommy Hilfiger? Um, I came from a Liz Claiborne experience where they wanted me for my name and what I had done for all those years and not really what I could contribute from a product point of view or how a partner should fit in. And I, from day one, I would say a week into it, realized I wasn't really fitting. It wasn't really what I wanted in life. And I spent four years and we grew the business and I was kind of working on shopping shops and working with stores in terms of development. They all, stores all knew me. I had credibility. Um, the but shareholders felt, knew me. We but you were felt like the, par- the partners didn't really need your input. Is no. that is that what it felt no. like? No, and I didn't and I didn't share their values. Uh, our values were different in terms of how we saw running a business and caring about what gets done and just how you, how you work. And, and there were people in the company that I just wouldn't have hired uh, that they did hire. So it was a place, you know, fitting in is a key part of decisions people have, have to make. We all have that challenge. You have a challenge, the same challenge in terms of how do you fit into your current organization or, or how do you fit it? How does, why does one soap opera work? Why, why does right. one other one not? Why, why does some news channels just seem to get people's attention because of how the information flows and others not? It's mm-hmm. how do you figure that out in a company? So you knew one week into it, did you ever say, I'm going to quit? I'm not going to do this? Or were you too in too deep? In too deep, scared to do that. Um, and then all of a sudden, when you come to the parting of ways where financially it works, but someone just says, you know, Jay, we want you to move on. It had never happened to me in my life. So this goes back to your question. It was like, wow, I, I think I just got fired. I think that like they're just taking, saying to Jay Margolis that he, they don't want him anymore. And But okay, I, take me to that day. How, how did that happen? What happened? Oh, Silas just called me into a room and just said, you know, I don't think you're happy. We're not happy in terms of how this is all working out. I think we should just, you know, part ways. Really, you know, I thought things were moving right direction. Company is growing incredibly. Uh, shops were bigger. We all were working at different parts of it. He made, he did the right thing. We, it wasn't working in terms of my way. It wasn't working for how we had board meetings and how we communicated information and who we had on our board. It just, it just wasn't working for me. It doesn't mean they didn't so do the right thing. So then it couldn't thing. have been a surprise, right? It was. It was. It, but it was. never happened. And then once that's happened, that, when that happens to you, it happened at Reebok again. So at the end of the day, some things work for periods of time and you know it became turnarounds. And once you got to a turnaround point, I, I, I was costly in terms of how much they had to pay me. Uh, I paid I paid for it and that stock prices went up, which was fortunate. Um, but at the end of the day, someone thinks they can do it better than you or they do it at a cheaper price. And I became known for turning around all these companies. And that got me to your, again, question mm. of eight or nine or ten different situations. All amazing experiences and I would say all other than the cachet experience, actually profitable for the company, profitable in terms of either selling off the company. Uh, Reebok got turned around and sold off to Adidas. Right. A, a spree never. Never, but, uh, that never it got sold back to its partner in Hong Kong. So different things happen. Well, I think it's interesting because it's. I think people they don't think about that aspect that you can still be very productive member of your company. You can be, you know, making money for your company. But if you don't fit, and if you can feel that, which I, I get a sense that you felt that right from the start, that maybe you weren't getting along with the other partners, or you know, like you said, your value was different from their value, and. It's easy to write it off and say, oh, that's just me. I'm just being paranoid or, you know, or, or maybe, you know, we'll be able to work it out. But in, sometimes when it doesn't fit, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't even matter if you're a success at that company. I didn't know that until later in my career. 
in terms of how important values of a company are. It's interesting. I could cite some company examples in terms of at, at, at the limited company, attention to detail, the consumer, um, just being curious, uh, knowing everything you can about retail and, and the con- being really consumer-centric. And there's, a cert- there's values in terms of almost every aspect of how you work and how you function and how you hand off and time to market and how much energy and time you put into your job and how you gain information. Uh, Jim Cook at Sam Adams, I'm fortunate to be on the board of Sam Adams for the last seven years. And right. the business has grown incredibly. It's about full disclosure. And it's about people who, if you tell the truth, whether it's good information or bad information, we just want to know the information. And smart people work a certain way. Uh, so these came later in my career. And what I learned what I learned is it really does matter because, and I think more and more people care about how a company functions and what their values are and what they put into their product and how they think about the, how they distribute their product and who their consumer is, whether it be food products, whether it be f- beer and the fresh Jim right. Jim does it for the love of beer and the freshest beer program. And I realized, I look back now and thought, you have to be that way to win now. You you have to have you have to live your values. The company has to live your values. You have to have people who live the values. After the break, bouncing back, how Jay did it and what kept him going. This episode of Radiate is brought to you by Pipedrive. Now you've heard me talk about this company before, but if you're an entrepreneur, it's really, really important that you pay attention to what they do because they can help make selling much easier. Pipedrive is the CRM for small teams with big ambitions. They take the pain and frustration out of tracking deals with things like email and spreadsheets. Salespeople and entrepreneurs love Pipedrive because it visualizes your sales pipeline. They highlight opportunities and also potential problems. They ensure that important activities and conversations don't get missed. And sales managers love it because they don't need to nag their teams to use their CRM. Pipedrive is easy to use. You can be up and running in minutes. And if you need that extra help, well, Pipedrive also has some great tutorials, but they also have an incredibly supportive response team. Some of the cool things about Pipedrive include forecasting, iOS and Android mobile apps, some awesome integrations with the likes of Google Apps, MailChimp, Zapier, Yesware, and many, many more. And they've got a powerful API for those that like to build their own software solutions. So head over to pipedrive.com radiate to start your 30-day free trial today. This podcast is also brought to you by Stamps.com. If you get your mailing and shipping done at the post office, it can seem like a huge hassle, right? It takes up valuable time. There are long lines. You also have to lease a postage meter. It's expensive with multi-year commitments and hidden fees. So there's a better way, and it's called Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you get to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package right from your desk at home. You can use your own computer, your own printer, and you can even get special discounts that you can't find at the post office. Also, Stamps.com is more powerful than a postage meter, and it costs just pennies on a dollar. You can save at least 50% compared to a postage meter, and you're going to be able to avoid those long lines at the post office. So right now, I want you to sign up for Stamps.com. Use the promo code RADIATE for this special offer. It's a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. You can wait until the end of this episode. But go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in radiate. Stamps.com. Enter 
radiate. One of the things about you that that I've always admired is that you you're always constantly looking for the next thing and you're constantly curious no matter how old are you now Jay 66 66 so you look like you're 50 something i uh, mean you know you're young you're you know you're looking for uh, you're always looking for the next opportunity so so where does that come from where does that where, you know where does that desire to you know to constantly be curious and and working like where does that come from wow so this is a hard one in that i grew up with wonderful parents who my mom my dad was a, a grocer uh, worked in a grocery store, a manager of a grocery store. My mom was a car dealer. We had a one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. Your mom was a car dealer. Car, worked in a car dealership she as worked, an assistant. Okay. So we, we were a lower-middle-class family growing up in Brooklyn, second generation. My mom was born in America, but her parents were not. Jewish? Uh, Jewish, okay. uh, Russian-Jewish. And they had, you know, we didn't have a lot, but they never told us that. We never knew that. And we went to the cool clothing store and she always did whatever they had to do to get us to next. We moved to Queens just to just to get a bigger space with our my grandparents. Um, but we, she, I was always, there was always something else out there. My mom was the kind of person where you have to strive for more and you have to learn to keep, keep an open mind to things, which I think my curiosity comes from that. A little bit may come from my father, my, the fact that my father wasn't successful and he, he, I knew how hard the grocery business was and I knew so many people and actually in the, in the fashion business had a, a parent or something from the grocery business. Uh, it's hard and, and, and I understood how hard he worked and the, the detail how you needed to make money. How much do you think he made? Day. Oh well, everything's relative, right? I well, made, at his when peak, my first job. Oh, if if he made three, four thousand, it's hard to judge in these time frames. But he he he, you know, he just it was a worker in a store. Having said that, I knew there was more in life, and I got so lucky getting my first job, Manhattan Shirt Company. I was going to teach in Bedford Stuyvesant. That was what my path in life was going to be. I was a sociology anthropology major. Okay, I was going to teach. I was going to teach kids, and I wanted, you wanted to, to give to be back. A teacher. And yeah, I, well, I didn't know anything else. And a uh, playing basketball in a friend's backyard, his father comes and says, you know to his son, do you want this interview at Manhattan Shirt Company looking for a merchandise manager? And he said, no, I want to be a sports announcer, which he is on ESPN. And um, Who is this? His name is Bill Perry, and he, his father was in the peace goods business, and I went for that interview and got a job. And, I mean, I got my first suit and my first tie and didn't know, but I knew my... I was always a little different about... I want to say about how I put myself together. I was always thoughtful relative to what what From does when? go on in big world. From when? Uh, from early on, my mom would many times I'd come back with outfits and she'd look at me and go, well, what are you doing? You know, my favorites, one of my favorite stories is kindergarten, standing up wearing red pants and the teacher telling me, no, you're not going to the principal's office because you're wearing red <laughs> pants. And my mom used to remind me of that saying, you were always a little different. And I think that difference good, you know, <laughs> being curious and being different. So, and I was very competitive. I love sports, and so I hate losing. I have a fear of failure. Um, I don't think I've ever made it. I think that you have to keep trying. And every but where I, does that fear of failure come from? Then well, that's a good question, right? I, I don't know. I I know I have it. I think you work a little bit harder each time you think it may not work. You you give it your your all. You get frustrated when maybe the rest of your team doesn't see it that way. Um, 
You mean I, when they don't have the same fear same, of failure? The same fear of failure, right? And I think, I don't know. I don't know how that's built into it. I think as you're in the business more and more, you you want to grow. You want to achieve more. You want to get bigger viewership. <laughs> you want, I'm, I'm guessing you feel the same way. You, yeah. you want to do things. You want people to listen to this podcast and want the next podcast and, and right. feel great about what Well, the what, higher what you go, the more you have to lose. So does the fear get bigger the higher you go? No, because you keep throwing. You, you're curious, and you keep throwing things out there, and you keep trying new. You set your boundaries for your brand, your brand, what you what you believe is important, and I think you keep going at what's new ways of looking at. It. You may want to give back more later in life. Maybe there's other ways to think about it. I think about teaching. I think boards are fun for me, and I love Sam Adams, and I'd love a couple of other things. It's different though than running a company. It's different than you're not part of that tribe. No. You're, you're someone that works with that tribe, and you. Uh, and I, you know. I, I mean, Let's face it. You don't have that same fear of failure being on a board of Sam Adams than you than you do. It's a different than you did being the CEO of Cachet. It's a different thing. But I have a fear of failure of of talking to Betty Lou. I have a fear of failure of coming into the doing a show with you and not being prepared or or saying something stupid or or not communicating something that's new or fresh. So I have a fear of failure. I the night before I'm a maniac, but I have to believe you. You're like that as well. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing unless you're you're definitely capable and you definitely have an ability. But you always want to be. It's almost like well, I think for successful people, sometimes that fear of failure is like a friend. Uh, you know, it's it's not a very pleasant friend, but you know that if you have that, then you're going to perform, right? Do you, ha- do you have that? I have that. I mean, I, you know, I have the, oh, yeah, I mean, every, every time we go on air or or anytime, like you said, you, you know, you take on a big project or you make a speech or you do, you know, you're, there's always that fear that you're going to disappoint someone. How yeah. about when you do a conference like you did the conference, the Alan Greenspan conference? Mm. That, that that to me would be now all of a sudden you're or you're sitting with Warren Buffett. How do you feel about those kinds of interactions? Even more fearful or less than TV? It's like um listen, I'm now I'm being interviewed. So this is so it's <laughs> It's a it's a fear. There is a fear there, but it's a controlled fear because I've been there before and I know exactly exactly how it could go. But, you know, if you were to ask me, what about moving on to another new, you know, to a new project? I mean, something that's completely unknown, that fear is even greater. And I always say that the only way you're going to get through that is to turn that fear into motivation, right? Like, how do you make that fear um, something that that you, that you that can motivate you meaning can you say to yourself well if i do i fear failing more or do i fear not doing it more and I, went, totally right? that's the big call that's right the there. big call that's right? the big call right there and once you get to that moment of i actually fear not doing it bam 100 percent right that is that is perfect. right yes totally perfect so i guess for you you know you said you said that you are um you know you're getting to that point where you're kind of letting it go and and you know, you don't need to prove anything anymore. Have you? What What would you need to do to finally say, you know what, Jay Margolis is going to go to Bali, to the beach, whatever, St. Bart's, wherever, and just, you know, I don't care. I don't need to prove anything to anybody anymore. I would do it for. I would do all many of the things I I'm still doing. Um, I love doing this with you. I love being on TV. I would. I love guest lecturing and telling these stories because I think I could help students in terms of decisions they may be making in terms of different kinds of companies and how we think about things. So I could do it there, because I'll, but it'll come from the heart. It's not like I have to make the money or I want to succeed you in terms of turning. You don't need to make the money more. Uh, you know, we all want more, but I'm. I'm pure. I'm really happy with where we are in life, and again, that, that one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn kind of keeps in the back <laughs> of your mind. But it's like so. That's not 
important. It's like if I can give back and I can do some different things and keep busy and um, and keep sharing because I, I love using my eyes and I love seeing things and I love seeing trend. Your question about what I, I love watching that. I love trying to understand it and figuring out the next shoe or the next bag or, by the way, the next chocolate, which we're, we're working there or loving the fact that when I'm with Sam Adams and I'm with the marketing people and we're talking about the growth of Angry Orchard, which is now the biggest volume um, cider company. Right. It, I love that. And so how do I stop that? And how can I keep contributing? But I'm contributing from a different heart, a different place than running something. Just back on fashion and trends, what's what makes you happy to see right now? What trend out there? And you have to be specific. So what makes you happy to see? Well, I, I love the fact, I really do love the fact that fast fashion, Zara, H&M, and some of the people that are in that fast fashion business are as trend right and as price so sensitive. Oh my God, I don't know how they're doing it. They're like so. So when you go into a Zara, you're oh, like I'm blown happy. away. Blown away. I'm happy because like I think they mix it up in a way. They they slip their basics in. They keep their fashion fresh. They don't buy too much of a lot of things, but they have their base programs mixed in. They ha- which you have to have to run a profitable business. But they set the tone of speed and the fashion of trend. H and M the same way. And I think that is what every business has to do. So I I I love seeing that in the quote unquote fashion business. But you like seeing whole food and food, and you like seeing uh, again you know different different companies doing it really well. So, um, yeah, I think I, I think I, I'm I proud. You're... I'm proud of what they're doing because I think I think they're amazing. There's, it's an interesting story. It was a guy from H and M, Larson, I think his name is, uh, went to Old Navy. Old Navy's been a disaster for so long, and their numbers have been really good lately. And I went and read this article, and he said all the things that you'd want. I would want someone to say, which is about product, 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 and how do you go to market, and how you show it at market, and how do you own certain basics, and how do you fix the quality? And I'm going, and it's H&M for now. He took that same kind of structure. And you're happy for him. I'm happy for the companies that do that because I think you have to be agile and fast in every business you're in and be customer-centric. And so I love studying companies that are doing that because many don't. You know, many don't. When, when uh, recently Starbucks, I think, is doing a great job of that. And then there's others, McDonald's. I, okay, everything so what, was structuring. Okay, so 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 what I'm trying to get at. So I, I'll throw one out. I love the Godiva chocolate covered pretzels. So that's that's you know so something like that. Though tell me so like what's a product that you just absolutely love? Angry Orchard. By if you had to give me one, just one. So Sam Adams um, four or five years ago had a cider. There was a conversation about really going after the business. There was a, ch- a woodchuck, another small vendor in Vermont was there. We redid the packaging, put a different team on it. I'm an outsider. I'm a board member, but I'm watching this happen. And they're 65% of the cider business now. And the cider business has been growing by huge leaps and bounds over the last four years. And the, and it's an amazing product that I know where the you know, uh, the apples come from the German-French border, and they're made a certain way, and they're and everybody who drinks this, it's gluten-free, and it's fresh, and it's just, it so hits you nerve. you love that. Well, because they took it from the very beginning of something and marketed it to a consumer in a totally wonderful way, and the consumer has responded by buying it and loving it, and we are putting out a product that we're really proud of. When you see that full cycle of any company, it's so good. It's so good. Next week on Radiate. Sally Krawcheck, the former Wall Street powerhouse, on what it's like to turn your suit in for the startup life. Thanks for joining us. I'm Betty Lou. If you liked what you heard, please review us on iTunes and find me on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. See you next week on Radiate.